Domitian, Part Two, from the Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. The Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. Translated by Alexander Thompson and edited by T. Forrester. Domitian, Part Two, Paragraphs 11 through 23. His cruelties were not only excessive, but subtle and unexpected. The day before he crucified a collector of his rents, he sent for him into his bedchamber, made him sit down upon the bed by him, and sent him away well pleased, and, so far as could be inferred from his treatment, in a state of perfect security, having vouchsafed him the favor of a plate of meat from his own table. When he was on the point of condemning to death Aretinus Clemens, a man of consular rank, and one of his friends and emissaries, he retained him about his person in the same or greater favor than ever, until at last, as they were riding together in the same litter, upon seeing the man who had informed against him, he said, Are you willing that we should hear this base slave to-morrow? Contemptuously abusing the patience of men, he never pronounced a severe sentence without prefacing it with words which gave hopes of mercy, so that at last there was not a more certain token of a fatal conclusion than a mild commencement. He brought before the Senate some person accused of treason, declaring that he should prove that day how dear he was to the Senate, and so influenced them that they condemned the accused to be punished according to the ancient usage. Then, as if alarmed at the extreme severity of their punishment, to lessen the odiousness of the proceeding, he interposed in these words, for it is not foreign to the purpose to give them precisely as they were delivered, Permit me, conscript fathers, so far to prevail upon your affection for me, however extraordinary the request may seem, as to grant the condemned criminals the favor of dying in the manner they choose. For by so doing, ye will spare your own eyes, and the world will understand that I interceded with the Senate on their behalf. Having exhausted the exchequer by the expense of his buildings and public spectacles, with the augmentation of pay lately granted to the troops, he made an attempt at the reduction of the army in order to lessen the military charges. But reflecting that he should, by this measure, expose himself to the insults of the barbarians, while it would not suffice to extricate him from his embarrassments, he had recourse to plundering his subjects by every mode of exaction. The estates of the living and the dead were sequestered upon any accusation, by whomsoever preferred the unsupported allegation of any one person, relative to a word or action construed to affect the dignity of the emperor, was sufficient. Inheritances, to which he had not the slightest pretension, were confiscated. If there was found so much as one person to say, he had heard from the deceased when living, that he had made the emperor his heir. Besides the exactions from others, the poll tax on the Jews was levied with extreme rigor, both on those who lived after the manner of Jews in the city, without publicly professing themselves to be such, and on those who, by concealing their origin, avoided paying the tribute imposed upon that people. 
I remember, when I was a youth, to have been present when an old man, ninety years of age, had his person exposed to view in a very crowded court, in order that, on inspection, the procurator might satisfy himself whether he was circumcised. From his earliest years Domitian was anything but courteous, of a forward, assuming disposition, and extravagant both in his words and actions. When Caenis, his father's concubine, upon her return from Istria, offered him a kiss, as she had been used to do, he presented her his hand to kiss, being indignant that his brother's son-in-law should be waited on by servants dressed in white, he exclaimed, Uc agathon polykoi too many princes are not good. After he became emperor, he had the assurance to boast in the senate that he had bestowed the empire on his father and brother, and they had restored it to him and upon taking his wife again after the divorce, he declared by proclamation that he had recalled her to his pulviner. He was not a little pleased, too, at hearing the acclamations of the people in the amphitheater on a day of festival, all happiness to our lord and lady. But when, during the celebration of the Capitoline trial of skill, the whole concourse of people entreated him with one voice to restore Palforius Sura to his place in the senate, from which he had been long before expelled, he having then carried away the prize of eloquence from all the orators who had contended for it, he did not vouchsafe to give them any answer, but only commanded silence to be proclaimed by the voice of the crier. With equal arrogance, when he dictated the form of a letter to be used by his procurators, he began it thus, Our Lord and God commands so-and-so whence it became a rule that no one should style him otherwise either in writing or speaking. He suffered no statues to be erected for him in the capital, unless they were of gold and silver, and of a certain weight. He erected so many magnificent gates and arches, surmounted by representations of chariots drawn by four horses, and other triumphal ornaments in different quarters of the city, that a wag inscribed on one of the arches the Greek word axke, it is enough. He filled the office of consul seventeen times, which no one had ever done before him, and for the seven middle occasions in successive years, but in scarcely any of them had he more than the title, for he never continued in office beyond the calends of May, and for the most part only till the Ides of January. After his two triumphs, when he assumed the cognomen of Germanicus, he called the months of September and October Germanicus and Domitian, after his own names, because he commenced his reign in the one, and was born in the other. Becoming by these means universally feared and odious, he was at last taken off by a conspiracy of his friends and favorite freedmen, in concert with his wife. He had long entertained a suspicion of the year and day when he should die, and even of the very hour and manner of his death, all which he had learned from the Chaldeans, when he was a very young man. His father once at supper laughed at him for refusing to eat some mushrooms, saying that if he knew his fate he would rather be afraid of the sword. Being therefore in perpetual apprehension and anxiety, he was keenly alive to the slightest suspicions, insomuch that he is thought to have withdrawn the edict ordering the destruction of the vines, chiefly because the copies of it which were dispersed had the following lines written upon them, Keen mephagis epi rizanomos epi cartophoriso. 
Gnaw thou my root, yet shall my juice suffice to pour on Caesar's head in sacrifice. It was from the same principle of fear that he refused a new honor, devised and offered him by the Senate, though he was greedy of all such compliments. It was this, that as often as he held the consulship, Roman knights, chosen by lot, should walk before him, clad in the trabia, with lances in their hands, amongst his lictors and apparitors. As the time of the danger which he apprehended drew near, he became daily more and more disturbed in mind, insomuch that he lined the walls of the porticos in which he used to walk with the stone called Fengates, by the reflection of which he could see every object behind him. He seldom gave an audience to persons in custody, unless in private, being alone, and he himself holding their chains in his hand. To convince his domestics that the life of a master was not to be attempted upon any pretext, however plausible, he condemned to death Epaphroditus his secretary, because it was believed that he had assisted Nero, in his extremity, to kill himself. His last victim was Flavius Clemens, his cousin German, a man below contempt for his want of energy, whose sons, then of a very tender age, he had avowedly destined for his successors, and discarding their former names, had ordered one to be called Vespasian, and the other Domitian. Nevertheless, he suddenly put him to death upon some very slight suspicion, almost before he was well out of his consulship. By this violent act he very much hastened his own destruction. During eight months together there was so much lightning at Rome, and such accounts of the phenomenon were brought from other parts, that at last he cried out, Let him now strike whom he will. The capital was struck by lightning, as well as the temple of the Flavian family, with the Palatine house, and his own bedchamber. The tablet also, inscribed upon the base of his triumphal statue, was carried away by the violence of the storm, and fell upon a neighboring monument. The tree which just before the advancement of Vespasian had been prostrated, and rose again, suddenly fell to the ground. The goddess Fortune of Prineste, to whom it was his custom on New Year's Day to commend the empire for the ensuing year, and who had always given him a favorable reply, at last returned him a melancholy answer, not without mention of blood. He dreamt that Minerva, whom he worshipped even to a superstitious excess, was withdrawing from her sanctuary, declaring she could protect him no longer, because she was disarmed by Jupiter. Nothing, however, so much affected him as an answer given by Ascletario, the astrologer, and his subsequent fate. This person had been informed against, and did not deny his having predicted some future events of which, from the principles of his art, he confessed he had a foreknowledge. Domitian asked him what end he thought he should come to himself, to which replying, I shall in short time be torn to pieces by dogs, he ordered him immediately to be slain, and in order to demonstrate the vanity of his art, to be carefully buried. But during the preparations for executing this order, it happened that the funeral pile was blown down by a sudden storm, and the body, half burnt, was torn to pieces by dogs, which being observed by Latinus, the comic actor, as he chanced to pass that way, he told it, amongst the other news of the day, to the emperor at supper. The day before his death he ordered some dates served up at table, to be kept till the next day, adding, if I have the luck to use them. 
and turning to those who were nearest him he said to-morrow the moon in aquarius will be bloody instead of watery and an event will happen which will be much talked of all the world over about midnight he was so terrified that he leaped out of bed that morning he tried and passed sentence on a soothsayer sent from germany who being consulted about the lightning that had lately happened predicted from it a change of government the blood running down his face as he scratched an ulcerous tumor on his forehead he said would this were all that is to befall me then upon his asking the time of the day instead of five o'clock which was the hour he dreaded they purposely told him it was six overjoyed at this information as if all danger were now past and hastening to the bath parthenius his chamberlain stopped him by saying that there was a person come to wait upon him about a matter of great importance which would admit of no delay upon this ordering all persons to withdraw he retired into his chamber and was there slain concerning the contrivance and mode of his death the common account is this the conspirators being in some doubt when and where they should attack him whether he was in the bath or at supper stephanus a steward of domitila's then under prosecution for defrauding his mistress offered them his advice and assistance and wrapping up his left arm as if it was hurt in wool and bandages for some days to prevent suspicion at the hour appointed he secreted a dagger in them pretending then to make a discovery of conspiracy and being for that reason admitted he presented to the emperor a memorial and while he was reading it in great astonishment stabbed him in the groin but domitian though wounded making resistance clodianus one of his guards maximus a freedman of parthenius's satorius his principal chamberlain with some gladiators fell upon him and stabbed him in seven places a boy who had the charge of the lares in his bedchamber and was then in attendance as usual gave these further particulars that he was ordered by domitian upon receiving his first wound to reach him a dagger which lay under his pillow and call in his domestics but that he found nothing at the head of the bed excepting the hilt of a poniard and that all the doors were fastened that the emperor in the meantime got hold of stephanus and throwing him upon the ground struggled a long time with him one while endeavouring to wrench the dagger from him another while though his fingers were miserably mangled to tear out his eyes he was slain upon the fourteenth of the calends of october in the forty-fifth year of his age and the fifteenth of his reign his corpse was carried out upon a common bier by the public bearers and buried by his nurse phyllis at his suburban villa on the latin way but she afterwards privately conveyed his remains to the temple of the flavian family and mingled them with the ashes of julia the daughter of titus whom she had also nursed he was tall in stature his face modest and very ruddy he had large eyes but was dim-sighted naturally graceful in his person particularly in his youth excepting only that his toes were bent somewhat inward he was at last disfigured by baldness corpulence and the slenderness of his legs which were reduced by a long illness he was so sensible how much the modesty of his countenance recommended him that he once made this boast to the senate thus far you have approved both of my disposition and my countenance his baldness so much annoyed him that he considered it an affront to himself if any other person was reproached with it either in jest or in earnest 
though in a small tract he published, addressed to a friend, concerning the preservation of the hair, he uses for their mutual consolation the words following. Uch oraas oios cago kalos te megas te. Seest thou my graceful mien, my stately form? And yet the fate of my hair awaits me. However, I bear with fortitude this loss of my hair while I am still young. Remember that nothing is more fascinating than beauty, but nothing of shorter duration. He so shrunk from undergoing fatigue that he scarcely ever walked through the city on foot. In his expeditions and on a march, he seldom rode on horseback, but was generally carried in a litter. He had no inclination for the exercise of arms, but was very expert in the use of the bow. Many persons have seen him often kill a hundred wild animals of various kinds at his Alban retreat, and fix his arrows in their heads with such dexterity that he could, in two shots, plant them, like a pair of horns, in each. He would sometimes direct his arrows against the hand of a boy standing at a distance, and expanded as a mark with such precision that they all passed between the boy's fingers without hurting him. In the beginning of his reign he gave up the study of the liberal sciences, though he took care to restore, at a vast expense, the libraries which had been burnt down, collecting manuscripts from all parts, and sending scribes to Alexandria, either to copy or correct them. Yet he never gave himself the trouble of reading history or poetry, or of employing his pen even for his private purposes. He perused nothing but the commentaries and acts of Tiberius Caesar. His letters, speeches, and edicts were all drawn up for him by others, though he could converse with elegance, and sometimes expressed himself in memorable sentiments. I could wish, said he once, that I was but as handsome as Metius fancies himself to be, and of the head of someone whose hair was partly reddish and partly gray, he said that it was snow sprinkled with mead. The lot of princes, he remarked, was very miserable, for no one believed them when they discovered a conspiracy until they were murdered. When he had leisure, he amused himself with dice, even on days that were not festivals, and in the morning. He went to the bath early, and made a plentiful dinner, insomuch that he seldom ate more at supper than a Matian apple, to which he added a draught of wine out of a small flask. He gave frequent and splendid entertainments, but they were soon over, for he never prolonged them after sunset, and indulged in no revel after. For till bedtime he did nothing else but walk by himself in private. He was insatiable in his lusts, calling frequent commerce with women, as if it was a sort of exercise, clinopaline, bed-wrestling. And it was reported that he plucked the hair from his concubines and swam about in company with the lowest prostitutes. His brother's daughter was offered him in marriage when she was a virgin, but being at that time enamored of Domitia, he obstinately refused her. Yet not long afterwards, when she was given to another, he was ready enough to debauch her, and that even while Titus was living. But after she had lost both her father and her husband, he loved her most passionately, and without disguise, insomuch that he was the occasion of her death by obliging her to procure a miscarriage when she was with child by him. The people showed little concern at his death, 
but the soldiers were roused by it to great indignation, and immediately endeavored to have him ranked among the gods. They were also ready to revenge his loss, if there had been any to take the lead. However, they soon after effected it, by resolutely demanding the punishment of all those who had been concerned in his assassination. On the other hand, the Senate was so overjoyed that they met in all haste, and in a full assembly reviled his memory in the most bitter terms, ordering ladders to be brought in, and his shields and images to be pulled down before their eyes, and dashed in pieces upon the floor of the Senate House passing at the same time a decree to obliterate his titles everywhere, and abolish all memory of him. A few months before he was slain, a raven on the Capitol uttered these words, All will be well. Some person gave the following interpretation of this prodigy, Nuper tarpeo quae sedit comine cornix, est bene, non potuit dicere, dixit, erit. Late croaked a raven from Tarpeia's height, all is not yet, but shall be right. They say, likewise, that Domitian dreamed that a golden hump grew out of the back of his neck, which he considered as a certain sign of happy days for the empire after him. Such an auspicious change indeed shortly afterwards took place, through the justice and moderation of the succeeding emperors. End of Domitian